into this bucket. Oh yeah, we have one of those. Uh, this is Crime Culture. I am Caitlin. I'm Haley. This is Crime Culture. <laughs> and uh, what is what is what are we talking about today? So today we are doing our Patreon poll episode. So for Ooh. those who are just tuning in, for those who have listened before and have forgotten, that's okay. We're only a little bit hurt. Um, we do a Patreon poll where people who donate at a certain tier can vote and choose what they want to hear for the next month. And so therefore, we did a poll and our winner was the inimitable, iconic Selena Quintanilla. I'm so excited. You messed it up. I'm so excited that like, like Haley, you've got no idea. I am so excited about this. Like there's going to be a lot of that just out of pure excitement. But um, no, Selena Quintanilla Perez. And I just, it's a, it's a, she's a fantastic person, was a fantastic person. Spoiler alert. Yep. Um, it's, it's a really tragic case, but like she's iconic and the, the effect that she has had on the world and on music and popular culture. Yeah. It's like, you think you're saying, yeah, you think, you know, you don't. I think she's the most popular Selena singer. I'm we'll going get, to make that assumption. We'll get into that because there's right. actually a correlation. There's a there's a connection. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Ooh. So jumping I know right. the bi- I know what? the broad strokes of this story. Yeah, everybody kind of knows. Well, also because you were a wee infant and I was, I don't think I was born yet when okay. when everything went down. I was like a year old when spoiler alert her posthumous album came out. Uh-huh. So people who are older than us or people who are big Selena fans, not that not to say that I'm not a big Selena fan. I'm a I'm a Selena fan. I'm a casual Selena fan. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, no. It's it's pretty it's pretty fucking huge. Um so we'll jump right in. Go for it. All right. So Selena was born as Selena Quintanilla on April 16th, 1971 in Lake Jackson, Texas to Abraham Quintanilla Jr., a former musician, and Marcela Zamora. And like Michael Jackson is considered to be like the king of pop or Elvis is considered to be the king of rock and roll, um, mm-hmm. she to this day is considered to be the queen of Tejano music. And um, mm. for those who don't know what Tejano music is, it's... Um, it's like a type of Mexican music that incorporates other styles like country or polka or jazz. Um, so it's kind of like a mashup sort of of different styles. Um, but it's a traditionally, it's a Mexican style. Um, and so Selena was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, her dad's side of the family was Mexican. And then she had some Cherokee ancestry on her mother's side, um, and when she was six years old, her dad noticed that she had some pretty good musical abilities. Uh, he later told People Magazine, quote, her timing, her pitch were perfect. I could see it from day one. So what do you do when you've got a little, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like an ingenue and somebody who's prodigy. so prodigy. That's the word that I'm, thank you. I love you. Um, as a prodigy, she began performing as a child. Mm-hmm. So in 1980, when Quintanilla was around 10, um, or, or when Selena was around 10, I'm going to refer to her. I tried 
in my notes to make it so that she's just referred to as Quintanilla throughout out of respect but given that her dad is Quintanilla and her brother is Quintanilla and her sister is Quintanilla it was like I can't do this first names are all right first names are gonna happen um except for her dad because her dad and her brother have the same name so um yeah it's it's bear with me bear with me um (laughs) I'll try to be as as I'll, I'll try to be as detailed as possible in explaining who I'm talking about. So, in 1980, when Selena was around 10, um, her father opened his first Tex-Mex restaurant, Papagayos, in Lake Jackson, where both Selena and her siblings, Abraham III, or AB, um, and her sister Suzette, their sister Suzette, Mm -hmm. um, would often perform as the family band Selena y los Dinos, and Selena was the lead singer. AB was on bass guitar and Suzette was on drums. Um, it's adorable. Very cute. Very like Partridge family. We stan. We love it. And the following year, the restaurant was unfortunately forced to close down after a recession due to some oil stuff that was going on. I tried mm-hmm. to I tried to understand what was going on with the oil. I could not understand what was going on with the oil. But basically, no oil That's equals fine. no business. Um, and so they did have to close down the restaurant. The family had to close down the restaurant. Um, this led to them having to declare bankruptcy. They got evicted from their home and eventually they were able to settle in Corpus Christi, Texas. And their father became the manager of the band and he refurbished an old bus that he named Big Bertha. And Mm. yes, which we also love. We love to name inanimate objects. Um, And the family used that as their tour bus. So in the first year of touring, they typically, they really just sang for food and they really had just enough to pay for gas in terms of money. They, they weren't making like millions yet. Yeah. Um, they also, they performed on street corners. They performed at weddings, at quinceañeras, at fairs, like literally everywhere that they could as a way to provide for the family. Mm Mm-hmm. So then as her popularity as a singer grew, the demands of Selena's performance and travel schedule began to interfere with her education. Um, Her dad took her out of school when she was in the eighth grade and her teachers massively disapproved. They were like, we're going to call like child services. We're going to call the board of education. Like you can't do this. And um, it wasn't like he was pulling her out and like not teaching her, but they just felt that it was not a normal life for a child. Um, They were really upset about like how she would come to school tired. Um, Mm. But she then was enrolled in and graduated from the American School of Correspondence, which is based in Chicago. Um, So she was homeschooled. She she graduated. She got her she got her high school diploma. She got into a couple of colleges. She was studying marketing like at one point. Like she Mm -hmm. she was educated. She went on to finish school. Yeah. Um, How so in 1984, she recorded her first LP, Selena y los Dinos, for Freddie Records. And although she wanted to record English language songs, her dad believed that she should record music that was more related to her heritage so she could resonate with the Latino community. So she recorded Tejano music. Mm -hmm. And he taught her to sing in Spanish. Um, She first learned the lyrics phonetically, and then eventually she learned to sing fluently in Spanish. Wow. I should note, 
she was able to sing in Spanish, but she wasn't necessarily able to speak Spanish, which we'll get to in the future. Um, mm-hmm. She wasn't like her Spanish was a little rocky if she was like carrying on a conversation, if that makes sense. Um, okay. In 1985, to promote the album, she appeared on the Johnny Canales show, which was a popular Spanish-language radio show. And she actually continued to appear on the show for several years after the fact. She became, like, they're, like, one of their favorites. And Mm. um, she was discovered by musician Rick Trevino, who was the founder of the Tejano Music Awards, where she won. Wow. Oh, you have no idea. Wow. She won Female yeah. Vocalist of the Year at the Tejano Awards in 1987 and continued to do so for nine years in a row afterwards. Whoa. Yes. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, you're telling me. Um, Literally, like, the span of her entire career, she was winning. Yeah. Um, So then, meanwhile, the family's band was often turned down by texas music venues because of how old the kids were and because selena was the lead singer um Mm -hmm. so the father their father was often told by promoters that selena would never be successful because she was a woman in a genre that was historically dominated by men Mm. but we love a girl that defies the odds and by 1988 selena had released five more lps um, and that would be Alpha in 1986, Munequito de Trapo, and And the Winner Is in 1987. Those were both released in 1987. And then in mm-hmm. 1988, she released Preciosa and Dulce Amor. So mm. then in 1989 at the Tejano Music Awards, Jose Bejar, who was searching, he was searching for new Latin acts for the new label that he was kind of in charge of, EMI Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was there with the head of Sony Music Latin. And mm. he watched Selena perform and he was like, holy shit. He literally thought she was the next Gloria Estefan. Yeah. Um, like that is like what he has said in interviews afterwards. He he said to the other executive he was with, this is the next Gloria Estefan. And the dude was like, wow. sit the fuck down. Little <laughs> did he know. Um, so he wanted to sign Selena to EMI's label, Capitol Records. And mm-hmm. Sony Music Latin offered her father three or twice the amount of capital signing like bonus. Okay. Um, so Sony also was like, sit the fuck down, but we'll offer more money. Um, wow. Yes. And so ultimately, however, Quintanilla Jr. chose EMI Latin's offer because there was the potential for a crossover crossover album. And okay. he also wanted his kids to be the first musician signed to the label. Okay. That makes sense. So then before Selena began recording for her debut album, Behar and Stephen Finfer requested a crossover album for her. And she recorded three English language compositions for the heads of EMI's pop division. But their request for a crossover album was denied. And Selena was told that she needed a bigger fan base to sell such an album. What? Girl, wait. Um, so then on October 17, 1989, Selena released her self-titled debut album. And Selena peaked at number seven on the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Albums chart. And that became Selena's first recording to debut on a national music chart. And wow. it performed better than... Uh, you're telling me, girl. It performed better than any other recordings from other contemporary female Tejano singers. 
And that same year, Coca-Cola approached Selena to become one of their Texas spokespeople. Hmm. I don't know. And the jingle that was used in her first two commercials for the company were actually composed by her brother, A.B., who was pretty much her main record producer and songwriter for the majority of her musical career, in addition to being the bass player. I know. Yeah. And the song was also, um, like, the the songs were also co-composed by A.B. and Chris Perez, who had joined Selena y Los Dinos several months earlier as the band's new guitarist. Okay. And Perez began to fall in love with Selena, despite having a girlfriend in San Antonio at the time. So Mm -hmm. he breaks things off with the girl in San Antonio like a good boy. And, Mm -hmm. well, I guess not like a good boy, but at the same time, he didn't cheat on her. That's true. But regardless, he, he went down to Mexico with them, with the band, and he said to himself no like it's really best if like i keep my distance it'll be better for her it'll be better for me and then he was like fuck that and was like i'm gonna try to have a relationship with her i can't stay away so Mm -hmm. they shared their feelings with each other at the most romantic location one can think of to profess your love to another person a pizza hut and They became a couple soon after, but they had to hide their relationship from Quintanilla Jr. because they were worried he would try to end it. Yeah. So meanwhile, Selena released her second studio album, Ven Conmigo, in September 1990, and three tracks from Ven Conmigo were released as singles, Ya Ves, La Chacolera, and Baila Esta Cumbia. And Baila Esta Cumbia is... It became one of Selena's most successful singles. Um, Its popularity was, like, extreme in Mexico, um, Mm -hmm. to the point that a compilation album with the single's name as its title was released, and it was certified platinum by the Asociación Mexicana de Productores de Fonogramas y Videogramas, which is AMPROFON, A-M-P-R-O-F-O-N, for short. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was certified after selling 150,000 copies. Wow. Yeah, in Mexico alone. Yeah. Um, Which is just amazing. So then in mid-1991, an in-home nurse for patients with terminal cancer and respiratory diseases named Yolanda Saldivar attended one of Selena's concerts in San Antonio with her niece. And although she originally disliked Selena immensely because Selena would win awards that Saldivar's favorite Tejano musicians were nominated for. Mm. She became a huge fan after this concert. Um, She really, she... There's a reason why she's winning. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and she kind of understood once she went to this concert. And she was like, her stage presence was massively impressive. And um, Saldivar, especially, she loved the song Baila Esta Cumbia. And so the day after the concert, Saldivar unsuccessfully searched for any kind of souvenir for the event. Um, And she realized Selena needed a fan club. So Mm -hmm. she goes to Selena's dad and asked for permission to start one in San Antonio. And despite the fact that she left him 15 fucking messages, um, which I would think would be something of a turnoff or even maybe a red flag... Yeah. Um, he agreed because he believed it would bring more exposure for the band. Okay. And also, she says that it was only three, and Selena's dad is like, nah, it was 15. Wow. <coughs> 1649. 
So Saldivar soon became a close, trusted family friend to Selena and the Quintanilla family. And she became the acting president of the fan club in 1991 and even quit her job to do so. She was making less money as the president, but she still was so devoted that she was like, fuck being a nurse. I'm going to just do this full time. Jeez. So as president, she was responsible for membership benefits, um, collecting $22 in exchange for promoting Selena for products promoting Selena. Um, a t-shirt bearing the singer's name, exclusive interviews with the band, a fact sheet about Selena y Los Dinos, notifications about upcoming concerts, like, you know, like your typical fan group. Yeah, and, it's different It's different now because of the internet, that yeah. lots of the thing, lots of the perks that you would get with a fan group right. don't really apply anymore. Like, And it's not, a, it's instantaneous now. Back then you had to like yeah. mail it in, then you had to wait for them to send it out, then you had to wait to receive it. It was like a longer yeah, yeah, exactly. form thing. Um. So all the proceeds from the fan club also were donated to charity. That's nice. Right? I really liked that. So that same year, Salvadoran singer Alvaro Torres composed a duet that he wanted to record with Selena called Buenos Amigos, which was released on Torres' 10th studio album, Nada Se Compara Contigo. And the song went to number one on the U.S. Billboard Top Latin chart. Um, Chop Latin Songs chart, excuse me, mm-hmm. giving Selena her first number one single. And this enabled her to tour the U.S. She had, like, the notoriety that she was able to yeah. do so. Um, so the song's music video also earned both Selena and Torres two nominations at the 1992 Billboard Music Awards, among other accolades from other award shows. But that was, like, mm-hmm. a big one for the two of them. Yeah. So, so despite all of this success... Um, she still had this secret relationship going on. She still felt that she couldn't go to her dad and be like, hey, look, this is happening. And it was only when her sister Suzette caught Selena and Perez flirting and told Selena's dad, just like mentioned it to him. I don't think she was like trying to like rat on her or anything. She was just like, hey, I noticed this thing. Um, Quintanilla Jr. immediately told Perez that he was to end their relationship. Mm. And they didn't. They refused and continued their relationship with approval from Selena's mother, but her father massively disapproved. Um, he called Perez a, quote, cancer in my family, end quote, Ooh. and threatened to disband the group if they continued their relationship. And finally, they kept going, so he fired Perez. Perez, mm. And he would not let Selena leave with him when he fired him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So still, they continued their relationship. And on the morning of April 2nd, 1992, they decided to elope because Selena figured that her dad would have to accept them if they were married. Yeah. And they also wouldn't have to sneak around anymore. They wouldn't have to hide their feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. So within hours of getting married, the media announced that they eloped. Their family freaked out and was like, where the fuck are you? And her dad did not take the news well and basically stopped speaking to her for a while. Yeah. So Selena and Perez moved in together into an apartment in Corpus Christi. And despite he bashed Perez Perez in interviews, like genuinely, like he was awful in interviews. Mm -hmm. He said nothing but terrible things about him even after the marriage. Um, Selena's dad later approached him and apologized, accepted the marriage, gave his blessing, and allowed Perez to rejoin the band. Mm. Because, like, that's still technically keeping it in the family, too. Yeah. 
Um, so then in May 1992, a month after her marriage, two years before I was born, Selena released her third studio album, Entre a mi Min- ah, I can't, I'm so excited, I'm sorry. Entre a mi Mundo, which was critically acclaimed as her breakthrough album. Mm-hmm. Um, it stayed at number one on the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Albums chart for eight months. Whoa. Uh-huh. Um, it was the first Tejano album that was done by a female artist to sell over 300,000 copies. And yeah. it was certified 10 times platinum by the RIAA for sales of 600,000 album equivalent units. And uh-huh. in Mexico, the album sold 385,000 units. Wow. Yeah. Homegirl is doing good. She's thriving. Yeah. We love it. So she was quickly booked for a high-profile border press tour in Monterrey, Mexico, with music media types in, like, a meet-and-greet conference type of thing. Mm -hmm. And this is where I mentioned before, like, her Spanish wasn't, like, she was mostly fluent, but you know what I mean? Like, it was, she she was, she had some difficulties. Yeah, yeah. Um, It wasn't her first language. English was her first language. Yeah. Um, Like, executives and people who were, facilitating this meet and greet were really concerned about that and the fact that there was prejudice against Tejano listeners. It's kind of like how people call in America like people who listen to like hardcore country music like rednecks. It's, yeah. It's like that type of prejudice. Okay. Um, so even despite these two factors, she quickly won over the Mexican media um, and newspapers hailed her as quote, an artist of the people. And they Mm -hmm. particularly loved that she didn't really try to whitewash herself. Like, they noted that she wasn't, like, a blue-eyed blonde, like, in the telenovelas. She was a real, like, person. She looked like she had a normal body. She was a brunette. She had brown eyes. She looked like she was Mexican. Yeah. And um, so after her publicity press... Uh, Selena was booked to play several concerts throughout Mexico, including a performance at Festival Acapulco in May 1993, which got her even more critical acclaim. Mm-hmm. And her performance in Nuevo León on September 17, 1993, was attended by 70,000 people. Wow. And that earned her the title of having the of being the biggest Tejano act in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, so this new album produced four singles, Como La Flor, Que Creas, La Carcacha, and Amame. And Como mm-hmm. La Flor became the song for which, or one of the songs that people know her the most for. Okay. Um, it really, it helped her, like, dominate the Latin music charts. She became super popular in Mexico because of it. Uh, Mexican Americans generally did not like or Mexi- Mexicans did not generally did not like Mexican Americans. Like okay. they they weren't into that. And it was still well received by both Mexicans and critics. Yeah. Um so the track was nominated for Song of the Year at the 1993 Tejano Music Awards and it peaked at number 6 on the US Billboard Top Latin Charts. Mm-hmm. And in 1984, Entre Ami Mundo ranked as the second best-selling regional album of all time. Mexican wow. album of all time. Yeah. Um, so then on May 4th, 1993, which was technically Pierre's birthday, he just wasn't born yet, um, <laughs> Selena released Live, which was recorded during a free concert at the Memorial Coliseum in Corpus Christi on February 7th of 1993 that year. 
And okay. two of the tracks on the album, No Debes Jugar and La Llamada, peaked within the top five on the U.S. Billboard Top Latin Songs chart. And mm. in 1984, Live won the Grammy Award for Best Mexican Slash American Album, and it was named Album of the Year by the Billboard Latin Music Awards and the Tejano Music Awards. And it was mm-hmm. nominated for Regional Mexican Album of the Year at the Lo Nuestro Awards. Um, it, this was like a killer album for her. Just it, all of the awards. All of the awards. It was certified gold by the RIAA for shipments of 500,000 copies, while in Mexico it sold 250,000 copies. And Mm -hmm. Selena went on to briefly appear opposite Eric Estrada in a Mexican telenovela titled Dos Mujeres Un Camino. And in 1985, she entered negotiations to star in another telenovela produced by Emilio La Rosa, and she appeared in two episodes, which garnered record ratings for the series. Wow. Yes. So then she's on, doing everything. She's doing everything. You don't even know. Like we're not even fully there yet. <laughs> she's still she still has more to give. So then on March 13th, 1994, Selena released her fourth studio album, Amor Prohibido, which debuted at number 3 on the US Billboard Top Latin Albums chart and it debuted at number 1 on the US Billboard Regional Mexican Albums chart. And wow. yeah. It is the first album that sparked her being referred to as the Queen of Tejano music, and she was mm-hmm. referred to that ever since, as that yeah. ever since. But um, after reaching number one on the Top Latin Albums chart, it remained in the top five for the remainder of the year and well into early 1995. Whoa. I know. And it became one of the best-selling Latin albums in the United States. Um, Mm -hmm. It was certified 36 times platinum by the RIAA for sales of 2.16 million album equivalent units in the United States. Mm -hmm. Again, 2.16 million. Last time it was, what, 350,000, I think is what it said. Like, she's she's doubled it. She's tripled it. She's quadrupled it. Like, she's she's becoming a superstar. Yeah, she's in competition with herself at this point. It's basically. Uh, so the album was later included on Tom Moon's list of 1,000 recordings to hear before you die, a listener's life wow. list. And that was released in 2008. So also, this came out in 1994. And in 2008, it's still considered one of the albums that you need to listen to yeah. um, before you die. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. My notes just refreshed um it also featured the hit single bitty bitty bum bum which is another one of the songs for which selena is best known um mm-hmm. and also two other singles from the album amor prohibido and no me queda mas which were the most successful u.s latin singles of 1994 and 1995 respectively mm-hmm. uh the album was also nominated for a grammy for best mexican american album in 1995 and won record of the year at the tejano music awards and the regional mexican album of the year at the Lo Nuestro Awards. Okay. Uh, Billboard magazine ranked Amor Prohibido among the most essential Latin records of the past 50 years and included it on its list of the top 100 albums of all time. Um, In 2017, NPR ranked Amor Prohibido at number 19 on their list of the 150 greatest albums made by women. Wow. Yeah. And again, like, this was this is 2017 this album came out in 1984 yeah like over 20 years later that it's incredible 
So then Selena's duet with the Barrio Boys, titled Donde Quiera Que Estes, was released on their album of the same name in 1994, and that song reached number one on the Top Latin Songs chart, which enabled Selena to tour New York City, Argentina, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, Central America, like everywhere that like she wasn't really able to go before. Like before yeah. it was like, oh cool, now I can tour the US. Now it's like, oh cool, now I can tour the world. Yeah, each new success brings her more opportunities of where she could bring her music to. Yes, and more notoriety. Yeah. So then in late 1984, EMI chairman Charles Kopelman, who was the one who decided that she couldn't do a crossover album, um, said he decided that Selena had achieved her goals in the Spanish-speaking market and wanted to promote her as an English-language solo pop artist. Mm -hmm. So she got her crossover album that she had wanted and yeah. continued touring while EMI began began preparing the album and by the time she performed her historic record-breaking sold-out concert at the Houston Astrodome in February of 1985 she um work had already begun on the crossover album mm-hmm. so then in 1985 she also made a cameo appearance appearance oh jesus a cameo <laughs> appearance in Don Juan de Marco which featured Marlon Brando, Johnny Depp, and Faye Dunaway in the cast. Wow. Yeah. So she's really, she's going mainstream now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So aside from music, in 1984, Selena began designing and manufacturing a line of clothes. Um, she opened two boutiques called Selena, etc. One in Corpus Christi and the other in San Antonio. And both of them were also equipped with in-house beauty salons. Wow. So she basically, yeah, she basically made like an Ulta for clothes. Yeah, yeah. Um, She was also in negotiations to open more stores in Monterey, Mexico and Puerto Rico. And Hispanic Business Magazine reported that the singer earned over $5 million from the boutiques. And Selena was ranked among the 20th wealthiest Hispanic musicians who crossed the highest income in 1993 and 1994. Wow. Yeah. Homegirl is killing the game. Yes. Everything she touches turns to gold. Literally. Literally. (laughs) So Selena's dad thought that Saldivar, the head of their fan fan club, was a potential candidate to run the businesses because the family would be touring the country and they weren't able to manage them. And Uh he was like, yeah, she's the best choice because of her success running the fan club and everything's going smoothly and we trust her. She's a family friend at this point. Mm -hmm. So the family all agreed. And in January of 1984, Saldivar became the manager of the boutiques, in addition to being the president of the fan club. Yeah. And after she was hired to run the boutiques, she moved from South San Antonio to Corpus Christi to be closer to Selena. And in September 1984, Selena signed Saldivar as her registered agent in San Antonio. Um, Along with the responsibility of running the boutiques, Saldivar accompanied Selena on trips and had keys to her house. But when Saldivar became this business associate, their relationship began to deteriorate. Mm. Um, Saldivar was receiving, quote, tokens of affection from Selena, which she wasn't accustomed to. Um, Her room was covered with Selena posters and pictures. Uh, She was Mm. burning votive candles. She had a library of Selena videos that she played to entertain when she had guests. Mm. Um, During an interview with Saldivar in 1985, reporters from the Dallas Morning News said that her devotion to Selena bordered on obsession. Yeah, sounds like it. A little bit. 
A little sketchy. A little sketchy, and it gets sketchier. Mm. Um, Saldivar told employees at Selena, etc., that she wanted to, quote, be like Selena, end quote. It's okay Um, to be like someone, but she wants to be her. Yeah, the like is, is, what's the word? It doesn't really count. Yeah. So then, according to a former, former employee, Saldivar was what she called possessive of her Mm. relationship with selena and or what they called because we don't know who the employee is but they said that saldivar was possessive um she tried to distance selena from other employees and the former employee who was telling this they didn't want to like give their information but um they believed that saldivar's goal was to quote have more control over the employees and over selena Mm. end quote uh, Saldivar said her reason for distancing the employees was to, quote, shield the singer from the, quote, petty issues, end quote, of managing her business, her boutiques. Okay. Um, Saldivar, on top of managing the boutiques, was authorized to write and cash checks. She had access to bank accounts associated with the fan club and the boutiques. Um, mm-hmm. And Selena also gave her her American Express card for the purpose of conducting company business. Wow. Yeah. However, Saldivar instead used the card to take associates to expensive restaurants, um, rent Lincoln Town Cars, and buy two cell phones for herself that she carried at all times. None of this is surprising me. No, it's not really surprising me either. But at the same time, we know now what we know. Um, So around the same time, the employees at the boutiques also began to complain that while Saldivar was always acting nice when Selena was around, she actually treated them terribly when she wasn't. Um, In December 1994, the boutiques began to suffer. Uh, The company's bank accounts lacked sufficient funds to pay bills, and both stores had to reduce staffing from 38 to 14 employees. Wow. But a lot of this was because Saldivar fired anybody she didn't like. Ugh. Um, so the remaining employees began going to Selena directly about Saldivar being a dangerous person. Um, mm-hmm. they reportedly warned her that Saldivar was, quote, two-faced and unstable, end quote. Okay. But Selena found it pretty much impossible to believe that somebody that she considered a friend and that she trusted so much would do anything to hurt her or her business. Yeah. Too good for her own good. Yeah. Um, too trusting. so then in January, hmm? She was too trusting. Too trusting. Too, like, she had a big heart. And unfortunately, that's how people get taken advantage of. Um, In 1985, in January 1985, Deborah Ramirez, um, who was Selena's cousin, was hired to work in the boutiques. And she was supposed to help Selena expand the business into Mexico. She lasted a week before she quit telling Mm. Saldivar she was dissatisfied with the failure of staff members to report sales. She also found receipts were missing from the sale of several boutique items, and Saldivar told her to mind her own business and that it wasn't her concern. Yeah. So she left, which, good. Um, Saldivar also frequently cashed with Martin Gomez, who was Selena's fashion designer. Um, she com- he complained that Saldivar was mismanaging Selena's affairs. Uh, their hatred really came to a head, though, during Selena's fashion show, one of her fashion shows, um, when Gomez accused Saldivar of mutilating or destroying some of his original creations. And okay. he was just like, you never pay bills. Mm. Like, kind of just dragged her through the mud. 
Yeah. Um, Gomez then stated that Saldivar had, quote, established a reign of terror, end quote. Ugh. Saldivar began recording their conversations without Gomez's consent to persuade mm. Selena he was not working for the boutique's best interests. And Gomez was ultimately demoted to a supporting role when Selena decided to design her own clothes. Wow. Uh, yeah. So between late 1984 and early 1985, Saldivar often traveled to Monterey to expedite the process of opening one of the other Selena etc. stores. And when Saldivar visited the factory in Mexico, she intimidated the seamstresses by telling them to either side with her or leave. Mm. Yeah. So then in September 1984, Selena met Ricardo Martinez, a doctor who lived in Monterey, and he said he had contacts in Mexico who would be able to help her grow her business. Yeah. So Martinez became a business advisor to Selena after that, and her family said that he was simply a fan who posed in several pictures with her and he wasn't actually a business advisor, but he claims he was a business advisor and okay. he's got some info to back it up. Okay. Um, so then Saldivar became jealous of Selena's working relationship with Martinez. Um, he began sending flowers to her hotel room and Saldivar warned the singer that Martinez might have unprofessional intentions. Hmm. Which he very I mean, well could sounds- have. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, he could have. But at the same time, she doesn't have a leg to stand on. She's doing this because she wants her attention to be only on, like, her. Yeah, exactly. So this all came to a head in January 1985, when Selena's dad began receiving angry phone calls and letters from fans who said they hadn't received any of the merch that they were supposed to get for joining the fan club, even though they paid their enrollment fees. Okay. Um, Upon this discovery... um, he looked into it he launched an investigation and quintanilla jr discovered that saldivar had embezzled more than sixty thousand dollars using forged checks from both the fan club and the boutiques yeah and don't forget and and she's still like abusing the amex yeah 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 um so saldivar's brother armando supposedly contacted gomez and quote made up a story end quote that saldivar was stealing money from the fan club Gomez then called one of Selena's uncles, who then told Selena's father, and that's it it caused a big problem. And Armando then said that he started the rumor because he was angry with his sister. He didn't really say why. He didn't really want to say why he was angry with her, but that he did later feel guilty. Okay. So then on March 9th, 1985, Quintanilla Jr. held a meeting with Selena and Suzette at Q Productions to confront Saldivar. And he presented Saldivar with evidence concerning the missing funds. He said that Saldivar simply stared at him, didn't Hmm. answer any of his questions, didn't really say anything, just kind of blank stare. And he further said that Saldivar didn't deny any of the accusations or say anything during the meetings, but Hmm. was, quote, emotional at times and at other times just cool as ice, end quote. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I'm gathering from that is that she's unstable. Yeah, yeah, that does seem like it. Like, TLDR, unstable. Yeah. So then, Quintanilla Jr. told Saldivar that he would involve the police if she did not produce evidence that disproved his accusations. And when he asked her why fans were not receiving the promotional gift packages, Saldivar said that those fans were just trying to get free items. Um, No, but they paid their... No, so she, yeah, but she's saying they got their items. They're just trying to extort. Oh, they're just trying for, to, yeah. Yeah, they're trying to get more. Okay. Um, 
So then Quintanilla Jr. discovered that Saldivar had opened the fan club's bank account under her sister's name, Maria Elida. And when he asked why she had done this, Saldivar said that the bank, for some reason, unbeknownst to her, wouldn't allow her to open a bank account in her name. Okay, red flag. Yeah. She then left the fucking meeting. Okay. Um, Quintanilla Jr. then banned Saldivar from contacting Selena. Uh, the day after she was banned from contacting her, Quintanilla drove to Q Productions and chased Saldivar from the premises, telling her that she was no longer welcome there. Wow. Yeah. However, Selena didn't want to end their friendship. She felt that Saldivar was essential to the success of her clothing line in Mexico. And mm. she also wanted to keep her close because she had bank records, statements, and financial records that were necessary for tax purposes that they would not be yeah. able to recover if she didn't give them back. Yep. So Saldivar's name remained on the payroll after the meeting, though her termination was pending on the retrieval of the financial records that were stolen. So, like, I don't know if she knew this, but they were like, we're firing her as soon as we get what we need. Mm -hmm. Um, On March 25th, 1995, or 1990, what year am I in? 1985, I'm right. Um, Selena told Suzette that she was planning on terminating Saldivar's employment, quote, soon. Okay. So after this meeting that all the shit hits the fan, Quintanilla Jr. discovered the fan club's checks were signed with Maria Elida's signature in handwriting identical to Saldivar's. He concluded Mm. that Saldivar was writing forged checks using her sister's name and then cashing them and keeping the funds. And when he was trying to retrieve the fan club's bank statements, he said they vanished and he found a letter in Saldivar's handwriting stating that Maria Elida had to close the bank account because of a major problem. Yeah, I can, I wonder what the major problem was. You know, I don't know. That it's not in <sighs> my mind. I have no idea. So then, according to the letter, a member of the fan club, Ivan Perales, was sent to the bank to deposit three thousand dollars, but she did not deposit the money, and the woman could not be located. They can't even figure out if she's real. Okay. So then the letter stated that Maria Elida found out about the situation, quote, too late, and that Perales and the money were missing. And then Maria Elida then wrote checks to be cashed by Saldivar, even though the bank account had no money in it, which the letter said was the reason why Maria Elida was closing the account and that the bank would have to cover the checks. Mm Mm-hmm. So just a whole ass mess. It's like she's trying to create a paper trail for herself, very obviously, but she's not doing a good job. Yeah. So then Quintanilla Jr. confronted Savidar about Perales' identity, but Saldivar said she knew nothing about her. She said she didn't trust the treasurer of the fan club, but she had trusted a complete stranger to to deposit $3,000. And Quintanilla Jr. told Salvador to, quote, tell that lie to someone else, end quote. And continued mm-hmm. and concluded that Perales did not exist since none of the fan club workers had ever met her or heard of her. Wow. Yeah. Um, according to Quintanilla Jr., Saldivar made four attempts to murder Selena. Uh, Selena removed Saldivar's name from the boutique's bank account on March 10th, 1995, and replaced her as the fan club president with another woman. And mm-hmm. the next day, Saldivar purchased a Taurus Model 85 snub-nosed .38 caliber revolver and a .38 caliber hol- uh, and and a box of .38 caliber hollow point bullets, um, which were designed to cause more extensive injuries than typical bullets. 
at a San Antonio shooting range and gun shop called Are You Ready? I'm ready. A place to shoot. A place to shoot. A shooting range and gun shop called A Place to Shoot. They're just letting you know what goes on there. It's 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 good marketing. You're looking for a place to, to shoot. Boom, you find one. Yeah. So then Saldivar told the clerk at A Place to Shoot that she needed protection in her job as an in-home nurse because a patient's relatives had threatened her. All right. She's becoming unhinged. Yeah. Uh, so then on March 13th, Saldivar went to her lawyer and wrote her resignation, which Selena's father believed was her attempt at an alibi. The same yeah. day, Saldivar drove to Corpus Christi and checked into the Sand and Sea Motel. And Quintanilla Jr. believes this would have been the first failed attempt to kill Selena, or the first attempt, I guess. It was failed, but it failed because Selena was actually in Miami at the time. All right. So then when Selena arrived in Corpus Christi on March 14th, Saldivar contacted her to schedule a meeting and then told Selena there was too much traffic and asked her to meet her at a parking lot 25 miles from Corpus Christi. Hmm. Fishy. This is this is like some Craigslist shit. Yeah. So then upon arriving, Selena told Saldivar she could remain in charge of her business affairs in Mexico. And according to Quintanilla Jr., Selena wanted to continue employing Saldivar until she could find a replacement. And Saldivar showed Selena the gun she had bought, and Selena told her to, quote, get rid of it, end quote, and said Uh she would protect Saldivar from her father, according to both Saldivar and Perez. Mm. So this is what Quintanilla Jr., Selena's dad, believed had pacified Saldivar and was the reason she did not kill Selena in that parking lot. Yeah. Uh, the following day, Saldivar returned the gun to the shop, saying her father had given her a .22 caliber pistol. And on March 26th, Saldivar stole a perfume sample and more bank statements from Selena in Mexico. Yeah, she doesn't know when to stop. Yeah. So then Saldivar accompanied Selena on a trip to Tennessee while the singer finished recording a song for her crossover album, during which Selena told Saldivar that some bank statements were missing and asked her to return them as soon as they got back to Texas. Mm -hmm. So she's on to her shit. And she's like, hey, come on. Like, we just talked about this. Put your sticky Mm -hmm. fingers away. Put my shit back. So then Mm -hmm. Saldivar repurchased the gun on March 27th and asked Selena to meet her alone at a hotel room, motel room, excuse me. And this was her next attempt to kill Selena. Uh, News of Selena's arrival spread and she was soon mobbed by fans who Quintanilla Jr. believes saved her that day because then there were, quote, too many witnesses, end quote. Yeah. so, according to him, the next attempt to kill Selena was during Saldivar's trip to Monterey in the last week of March. Uh, Dr. Martinez received telephone calls from Saldivar crying hysterically and saying she had been raped on March 29th. The following day, March 30th, she called Dr. Martinez again, and she said the calls sounded and he said the calls sounded like someone was trying to take the phone away from Saldivar. Mm-hmm. He sent an employee to check her motel room and just investigate, make sure she was okay. And the employee found that she had left a few minutes before they arrived. All right. So then, still March 30th, Saldivar returned from her Monterey trip and checked into a Days Inn motel. She, contact- she contacted Selena and told her she had been raped. And according to Quintanilla Jr., this was the last message that the Quintanilla compound received from Saldivar. Uh, he believed that this claim was her new al- alibi. Okay. 
So then Saldivar asked Selena to visit her at the motel room alone. However, Perez, her husband, accompanied her because, according to him, he waited by his truck as Selena went alone into Saldivar's motel room. He was concerned about her. And mm-hmm. as he was driving back to their house, Selena noticed Saldivar had failed to give her the correct bank statements that she needed. Mm-hmm. Saldivar tried contacting Selena through her pager and said she desperately wanted Selena to take her to a hospital that night, telling her she was bleeding profusely due to the rape. Mm. Quintanilla Jr. believed Saldivar was trying to get Selena to return to the motel room alone. And mm-hmm. Perez told Selena it was, quote, too late, end quote. And he didn't want her going out alone. But unbeknownst to Perez, Selena agreed to meet Saldivar the next morning. Okay. So then... March 30, March 30th, 1995, still, Selena also contacted Leonard Wong about the perfume samples he had made for her. And according to Wong, Selena told him she would be meeting Saldivar the next morning to pick up the samples that had been stolen from her. Okay. The same day, she told another employee at the boutique that she was expecting to fire Saldivar. And the employee actually followed Selena to her house that night because she was concerned about the singer after the discussion about Saldivar. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. then at 7.30 a.m. on Friday, March 31st, Selena left for Saldivar's motel room. At the motel, Saldivar told Selena she had been raped in Mexico, and Selena took her to Doctors Regional Hospital, where medical staff noticed Saldivar showed, quote, clear symptoms of depression, end quote. Yeah. Saldivar told medical staff she had bled, quote, a little, end quote. And the staff noticed Selena angrily responded that Saldivar had told her she was bleeding tons the day before. Yeah. So, Nurse Carla Anthony informed Saldivar she needed to travel to San Antonio to obtain a gynecological examination because Saldivar was, quote, a resident of San Antonio, the hospital was in Corpus, and the rape occurred outside the country, end quote. Okay, that's weird, but sure. I, I, yeah, I was a little weirded out by that, too. But, um, while driving back to the motel, it, it doesn't, I think it doesn't matter because it doesn't exist, and I think they were probably like, you're faking this rape yeah i mean yeah that's what i'm assuming Mm -hmm. um if anybody works in the medical field and can explain why that would be a thing please let us know yeah because that sounds very weird yeah i don't understand and this isn't all that long ago so no i don't know if anything's changed since then but weird like 24 years ago so then while traveling back to the motel selena told saldivar it would be best if they stayed apart for a while to avoid upsetting her father And according to Dr. Martinez, Selena had tried to contact him that morning, but he couldn't speak on the phone because he was performing surgery. Mm -hmm. And at 10 a.m., Quintanilla Jr. contacted Perez to ask where Selena was because she was supposed to record a song at Q Productions that morning and didn't show. Mm. So then Perez called Selena on her cell and reminded her of the session, and she told him she had forgotten, but she was taking care, quote, taking care of one last item of business, end quote, and would be at Q Productions soon after. Okay. This was the last phone call Selena answered, and it would be the last time Perez spoke to his wife. Mm. I know. Um, and then at the motel room, Selena and Saldivar began arguing. Motel guests complained about loud noises coming from Saldivar's room and said that they heard two women arguing about business matters. Selena okay. told Saldivar she could no longer be trusted and demanded Saldivar return her financial papers. Selena then dumped mm. Saldivar's satchel containing bank statements onto the bed to collect what she needed and saw the gun. At 11.48 a.m., Saldivar pointed it at Selena, and as Selena tried to flee, Saldivar shot her once on the lower right shoulder, severing an artery and causing a massive loss of blood. 
Trinidad Espinosa, the hotel's maintenance man, reported hearing a, quote, loud bang, end quote, which he likened to a car engine misfiring. Mm -hmm. I live in the ghetto, can confirm. And Selena was critically wounded, and she ran towards the lobby, clutching her chest, screaming, quote, help me, help me, I've been shot, end quote. She left a trail of blood of 392 feet. Wow. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll get into that. Like she was bleeding out. Yeah. Um, like we'll, it, it's it's really tragic and like just the clinical details of it. It's just it's insane. Yeah. Saldivar, meanwhile, was still chasing after her, pointing the gun at her and calling her a bitch. And <sighs> according to motel staff, Saldivar seemed quote calm, and went back to her room after chasing Selena. Yeah. According to Carlos Morales, who was waiting outside the motel, he heard screaming and saw Selena run towards him. She grabbed Morales and screamed, quote, they'll shoot me again, end quote. Mm. Motel staff noticed her clothes were, quote, soaked in blood, end quote, when she approached the lobby. And Selena collapsed on, collapsed on the floor at 11.49 a.m. as hotel general manager Barbara Schultz called 911. So she's been shot wow. for a full minute. Yeah. Selena screamed at the staff, telling them, quote, lock the door, she'll shoot me again, end quote. And the singer identified Saldivar as her assailant and gave the number of the room where she had been shot. She was then, quote, or she was, quote, mortally wounded and terrified, end quote, when she identified yeah. Saldivar. And her last words were, quote, Yolanda, 158. Wow. End quote. So Shauna Vela and the hotel sales manager, Ruben de Leon, tried to stop the flow of blood, but Selena's condition began to deteriorate rapidly as the motel staff tried to attend to her. Mm -hmm. De Leon tried to talk to Selena, but noticed that she was beginning to lose consciousness. He said she was moaning and moving less often, and then her eyes rolled back and she went limp. Wow. The ambulance arrived on the scene in one minute and 55 seconds. The paramedics tore off the green sweater where the bleeding was taking place and applied a Vaseline gauze to Selena's wound, which Mm -hmm. stopped the surface bleeding. Yeah. Selena's heartbeat was by that time very slow, and a paramedic performed a cardiopulmonary resuscitation to keep her blood circulating. Paramedic. Yep. Um, I don't know why that didn't occur to me. Some people... Don't, don't know what cpr stands for i am one of those people cpr i am one of those people yeah um whew, they didn't teach me that at unh um <laughs> so then paramedic richard frederickson said quote it was too late end quote when he arrived in the lobby he found a quote thick pool of blood from her neck to her knees all the wow. way around both sides of her body end quote wow yes frederickson could not locate a pulse when he placed his fingers on her neck he felt only muscle twitches Wow. So a paramedic tried inserting an intravenous needle into Selena, but her veins had collapsed because of the massive blood loss and low or no blood pressure, making Mm -hmm. insertion extremely difficult. Local police closed off Navigation Boulevard, where the motel was located. And when paramedics delivered Selena to Corpus Christi Memorial Hospital at 12 p.m., her pupils were fixed and dilated. There was no evidence of neurological function. She had no vital signs and was subsequently declared clinically brain dead. Hmm. Doctors were able to establish a, quote, erratic heartbeat, end quote, long enough to transfer her to the trauma room, where doctors began blood transfusions in an attempt to reestablish blood circulation after opening Selena's chest and finding massive internal bleeding. Selena's right lung was damaged, her collarbone was shattered, and her veins were devoid of blood. 
if she had survived this, she would not be the same person. No, no. you can't. She you would can't have be, been a shell. Yeah, you can't be brain dead for that long, and yeah, and just go back to making the multi platinum. Not even that. Just go back to like functioning like a normal human being, talking, walking, eating. None of yeah. that. She would have been a vegetable. Yeah. yeah. So doctors widened her chest opening, administered drugs into her heart, and applied pressure to her wounds. Dr. Lewis Elkins, a cardiac surgeon, arrived at Memorial Hospital and said he saw doctors making, quote, heroic efforts, end quote, to revive Selena. He described... Yeah, but at what point, like, I'm sorry, I know no, everyone, I know. like, they have to do everything they can, but at what point do you just be like, what is the... What happens after this? Well, it's really is the goal, interesting. Is the goal to, like, get her to live and to just be a vegetable like or maybe just live uh, long enough for her family to say goodbye i know it's just it's crazy like so many signs that she is actually dead yeah. when she comes in and it's just like no so he described the singer as being quote extremely contused and shredded the right side of her chest all the tissue was ripped end quote Oh, God. By the time Elkins arrived, an emergency doctor began, quote, massaging her heart after it had stopped beating. Elkins reported how all efforts were futile and said, had he been the receiving doctor, he would not have made any treatments on Selena. Yeah. He felt, however, quote, obligated to continue, end quote, after an emergency room doctor made the decision to revive Selena. Probably Mm. a fan. Um, Elkin said a, quote, pencil-sized artery leading from the heart had been cut in two by the hollow point bullet, (sighs) end quote, and that six units of blood from the transfusion had spilled out from her circulatory system. Mm. A breathing tube was administered after Selena stopped breathing on her own, while a clamp was placed on her, quote, gushing, end quote, pierced artery on her collarbone. Mm-hmm. After 50 minutes, the doctors realized the damage was irreparable, and Selena Quintanilla Perez was pronounced dead at 1.05 p.m. Central Time from blood loss and cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. When radio station KEDA AM broke the news of Selena's death, many people thought it was nothing more than an April Fool's prank, because the oh. next day was April 1st. Yeah. And she was this young girl. Yep. During the third hour after the shooting, an autopsy was performed due to overwhelming media interest. It revealed that the bullet had entered Selena's upper right back near her shoulder blade, passed through her chest cavity, severed the right subclavian artery, and exited her right upper chest. Mm. It took minutes from the point of impact of the bullet that Selena lost, quote, virtually all the blood in her body, end quote, which contributed to her dying so quickly and like bleeding so quickly yeah and what's even more tragic is that doctors said that if the bullet had been only one millimeter higher or lower the wound would have been less severe and she probably would have lived yeah you usually hear the opposite of when someone's like it missed the the artery by yeah. a millimeter or less than a, yeah. than a millimeter yeah yeah and then yeah this is the opposite yeah. situation of that this is when it, things don't go as lucky as Right. As uh, some other people have. No. So then, after the shooting, Saldivar entered her red 1994 GMC pickup truck and tried to leave the motel parking lot. (laughs) Good luck. Fucking bitch. Motel employee Rosario Garza saw Saldivar leave her room with a wrapped towel. It was later thought that she was going to Q Records to shoot Selena's father and others who were waiting on her. 
Mm-hmm. However, she was spotted by a responding police officer who left his cruiser, drew his gun, and ordered Saldivar to get out of the truck. Yeah. She did not get out of the truck and instead backed up and parked adjacent to two cars. Her truck was then blocked in by the responding officer's squad car. And mm-hmm. Saldivar picked up the pistol, pointed it at her right temple, and threatened to commit suicide. A oh. SWAT team and the FBI crisis negotiation were brought in. And Larry Young and Isaac Valencia began negotiating with Saldivar. They mm-hmm. ran a telephone line to their base of operations adjacent to Saldivar's pickup truck as the standoff continued. Mm-hmm. And lead negotiator... It, ah, I can't. And the lead negotiator... I, you ever? Okay, we're good. <laughs> the lead negotiator, Young... I, like, I think I had a mini stroke. I'm not even kidding. Um, I forgot okay. how to pronounce negotiator. Like, You've I think I might have just had a stroke. I have been. And normally I'm good on that. But like this time, I guess not. Um, so Young was the lead negotiator. And he tried to establish a rapport with Saldivar and persuade her to give herself up. And meanwhile, Valencia suggested that the shooting was accidental. Uh, Saldivar then changed her story, saying, quote, the gun went off, end quote, by itself. (laughs) Sure. Because that's how guns work. Yeah. I mean, that's what's killing all these kids in schools, isn't it? They just go off. They're like little, like, fucking, like, fireworks. Just pew, pew, pew. Like, that's how it happens. It's not someone who's a little unstable. No, 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 no. A little being a stretch. No, 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 no. So then she spoke to relatives in addition to speaking with the police. The motel was put under lockdown and guests were ordered to remain in their rooms until police escorted them out. And Mm -hmm. later that afternoon, police ended up draining the gasoline from the gas tank of Saldivar's car and turning on floodlights. Okay. So that they could, like, keep her from leaving, but also, like, it was getting to be, like, evening, sunset, and they still needed a visual. So, after the standoff entered into its fourth hour, Valencia succeeded in getting Saldivar to confess that she had intended to shoot herself. Mm-hmm. Um, wait. She had intended to shoot herself because of yes. what she did to um, Selena. So, Saldivar said that when she placed the gun to her head, Selena tried to tell her not to kill herself. Okay. Um, so, basically, Valencia got her to say, like, I took out the gun to kill myself. Yeah. Um, I got confused by my own notes. Um, (laughs) so then when Selena opened the door to leave, Saldivar said she told her not to close it. She also said the gun went off when Selena left. During the sixth hour, Saldivar agreed to give herself up, but when she saw a police officer pointing a rifle at her, she panicked and ran back to her truck, picked up the revolver, and pointed it at her head again. Mm. Saldivar then surrendered after more than nine hours. Wow. Yep. And by then, hundreds of Selena's fans had gathered at the scene, and many wept as the police took Saldivar away. Mm. A press conference was called within hours of Selena's murder. Saldivar had not yet been named in media reports, and Assistant Police Chief Ken Bung and Quintanilla Jr. told the press the possible motive was Selena's intention to terminate Saldivar's employment. Yeah. Also, imagine having to do a press release after your daughter has just been senselessly murdered like a couple hours later yeah that's the burden of being the father and also the dadager yeah 
like a momager yeah, but a dad yeah because you have to do your job but you yeah. also are a parent like i can't i can't imagine yeah that's crazy so radio stations in texas began playing selena's music nonstop and taking telephone calls from distressed fans uh some even that's led- what happened that that's what happened um the day that michael jackson um, died no, the day that Jerry Garcia died oh. in, I want to say it was, was it 1995? I could be f- forgetting. Could have been. My mom, is, my mom is a huge Grateful Dead fan, mm-hmm. and she was in the car with us. I might have told the story before. I was going to say, can confirm, us. have seen your house, massive Grateful Dead fan. <laughs> no, I think we talked about this. Actually, we could have talked about this during the um, John Lennon episode. Oh, probably. But, yeah, but the day that uh, Jerry Garcia died, like she, they started playing it on the radio, like, over and over and over again she's like okay what is this so they finally said it and uh she let me and my sister out like playing in a park and she just sat in her car and cried oh and i'm just like like, especially before like the internet and everything before like the alerts that you get on your phone like all of a sudden they just start playing song after song after song of one artist and you're like "Mm, what is this spooky there's either a contest yeah, there's either a contest, they have a concert, or it's like one of the like yeah. a radio station that I listen to does something called the Ten at Ten, which is like ten songs from one year, and then they, oh, they do something nice. like that, or like they'll play like a marathon of like one artist or something. But you start listening to it, and you're like, this is weird. Something's it's spooky. all the same artist. Something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I remember they also did that when Michael Jackson died, or at least they did it on my local radio. So that's where I thought you were going with that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did that uh, when Michael Jackson died. We just passed that anniversary, too. We did. Yeah. Um, So some stations held candlelight vigils in addition to playing all the music and listening to the Mm -hmm. fans. And all major U.S. networks interrupted their regular programming to break the news. Wow. Um, the lead item on national television network evening news programs in Corpus Christi at the time had been the end of the 1994 and 95 Major League Baseball strike. Mm-hmm. Within 30 minutes of its announcement, Selena's murder was the lead item on all TV stations in South Texas. Wow. Yeah. Um, her death was front page news in the New York Times for two days and was wow. featured prominently on BBC World News. Mm-hmm. Univision and Telemundo were among the first national news stations to arrive at the crime scene. Um, mm-hmm. They also, P- People Magazine did a commemorative issue with with Selena on the cover, and both the first and second runs of the issue sold out. And this actually influenced People's decision to create People in Espanol. Yeah. So then... In addition to all of this, coverage of the singer's death and murder trial dominated the American newscast in 1995. Carlos Lopez of KMIQ 105.1 told the Corpus Christi Caller Times that, quote, Dejano music is dead for at least today, end quote. Wow. And he compared the reactions to Selena's death to reactions to the Wall Street crash of 1929 and called March 31st, 1995, Black Friday. Mm. Musicians like Wife Clef John... Jenny Rivera and the Barrio Boys, who had done that collaboration with Selena, used mm-hmm. music to express their thoughts about her, or to rec- or they recorded compositions as tributes to her. Yeah, the media response Selena received was unprecedented for a Latin artist, and Hispanic writers expressed how the mainstream media typically ignores quote people from the border end quote. Mm. So yeah, it was really just catastrophic and the response was huge 
Um, on yeah. April 1st, the day after Selena's murder, Bayfront Plaza in Corpus Christi held a vigil that drew 3,000 fans. During the event, it was announced that a public viewing of the casket would be held at the Bayfront Auditorium the following day. And an hour before the doors opened on April 2nd, rumors that the casket was empty began to circulate, which prompted the Quintanilla family to have an open casket viewing. Wow. Yeah. That is disgusting that they had to prove it do that they, yeah they were like bullied into doing that yeah well and also i you know i saw it in two ways i saw it as them potentially being bullied but also look at what you did to her yeah exactly so then fans lined up for almost a mile to attend the viewing with about thirty thousand to forty thousand fans passing by selena's casket and more than mm. seventy eight thousand signing a book of condolence wow yeah and that's in Texas. That's just the people that could get to her. Them, yeah. The, the yeah. service. So then on April 3rd, 1985, 600 guests, who, which mostly consisted of family members, attended Selena's burial at Seaside Memorial Park, which was broadcast live by a Corpus Christi and San Antonio radio station without the consent of the Quintanilla family. Wow. Yep. And a special so mass. Disgusting. Oh, you want to hear Disgusting. Funny you mentioned that because a special mass held the same day at the Los Angeles Sports Arena drew a crowd of 4,000 people and Selena had been booked to play there that night for her Amor Prohibido tour and Mm -hmm. the promoter charged an admission fee for the mass, (gasps) which greatly upset Selena's family. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So then on July 18th, 1995, Selena's fifth studio album and first crossover album, Dreaming of You, was posthumously released. Um, Like I said, this is the one that was released when I was like a year old. This is the one that, believe it or not, even though I was a year old, I'm most familiar with because of the titular single. Um, Yeah. Which, fun fact, I was scream singing along to in my car on my way to Target. And that's when I was like, I should do an episode on Selena. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it debuted at the Billboard 200, making Selena the first Latin artist to accomplish the feat of reaching the Billboard Top 200. Uh-huh. It sold 175,000 copies on its first day of release in the U.S. alone, which was at the time a record for a female vocalist. And mm-hmm. in the first week, the album sold 331,000 copies, making it the second highest first week sales for a female musician since Nielsen SoundScan began monitoring album scales in sales in 1991. Mm-hmm. Billboard magazine declared it a, quote, historic event. And Time said that the recording elevated Selena's music to an even wider audience. It won Album Mm -hmm. of the Year at the 1996 Tejano Music Awards and Female Pop Album of the Year at the third annual Billboard Latin Music Awards. Wow. Yeah. Within, circling back, we're going to get to the justice part now. Um, Mm -hmm. Within 20 minutes of Saldivar's surrender, she was taken to the downtown police station in Corpus Christi and placed in an interrogation room with investigators Paul and Ray Rivera. Paul Rivera, who had investigated homicide since 1978, informed Saldivar of her right to an attorney, which she immediately waived. When the police investigators surrounded Saldivar's truck, she had cried out, I can't believe I killed my best friend. Hmm. Quote, unquote. Something so, you should have thought about before you did it. Something you should have thought about before you said it, too. Yeah. Because within hours, she was saying the shooting was accidental. Yeah. Saldivar's bail bond was initially set at $100,000. 
But DA Carlos Valdez, who lived a few blocks away from the Quintinia family, actually, persuaded the presiding judge to raise it to 500000 Mm-hmm. Now, here's where it gets crazy. When bail was announced, fans were furious that the death penalty wasn't sought. And the mm-hmm. Nueces County Jail was, like, bombarded with death threats. And there were public calls for vigilante justice. Listen mm. to some of the vigilante justice that was going on. Okay. Some gangs in Texas were reportedly raising money to post bail for Saldivar so they could kill her when she was released. <laughs> okay, that sounds very Texas to me. I'm Fucking sorry, but... gangs. Gangs were like, you know what? Let's set aside our differences. Let's kill this bitch. Yeah. And then reportedly, even the Mexican mafia had put a price on her head. Wow. Yeah. Like, okay. are we kidding? So then Saldivar yeah. was put on suicide watch, and she was assigned a public defender named Douglas Tinker, who chose Arnold Garcia, former district prosecutor, as his legal counsel. Mm-hmm. Also, fun fact, Tinker's mom, Tinker's wife, was not happy he got assigned to this case and was like, oh my god, we're, we're going to be murdered in our homes. Yeah. Um, so that, and he was like, no, 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 I'm gonna stay on it. And it's like, okay. you dumb hoe, okay. <laughs> So then D.A. Valdez chose Mark Skirka as his legal counsel, and Judge Mike Westergren presided over the case, which was moved to the Harris County Courthouse in Houston, Texas, to ensure an impartial jury, which I feel like is a thing in Texas, because that's what happened with the Bernie case. Yeah. But, um, so then according to the Chicago Tribune, the Selena murder trial's publicity, quote, rivaled that of the O.J. Simpson proceedings, end quote. The trial was called the, quote, trial of the century, end quote. And while it was considered the most important trial to the Latino population, it also generated interest in Europe, South America, Australia, and Japan. Mm-hmm. So then Saldivar pleaded not guilty, saying the shooting was accidental. And in his opening statement, D.A. Valdez said he believed Saldivar, quote, deliberately killed Selena, end quote. And he also called it a, quote, senseless and cowardly, end quote, act because Selena was shot in the back. Yeah. Tinker, meanwhile, said that the shooting was accidental. He also denied rumors that Saldivar wanted to be romantically involved with Selena. He was like, no, mm. she didn't want to be with her. She just wanted to be her. Be her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, both are still bad. Um, yeah. Well, no, not. I'm. We st- pride is over. I understand that. But it's like every day should be pride. I'm all about like lesbian relationships. However, she was a happily married straight woman. That we know of. Yeah. Not to yeah, assume. You can't, Not to assume. You can't force I'm going to stop talking. Anyway. Hmm? Go on. Okay. I, I just... Okay. So then, on October 23rd, 1995, the jury deliberated for two hours before finding Saldivar guilty of murder. Um, she received the maximum sentence of life in prison with no eligibility for parole for 30 years. And on November 22nd, 1985, she arrived at the Gatesville unit, now known as the Christina Crane unit in Gatesville, Texas, for processing. And as Mm -hmm. of 2018, Saldivar is serving her sentence in Gatesville at the Mountain View unit, which is operated by the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Mm -hmm. And because of multiple internal death threats from incarcerated Selena fans, Saldivar was placed in isolation and spends 23 hours a day alone in her 9x6 cell. Nine by 6 feet. And she wow. will be eligible for parole on March 30th, 2025. That's crazy. You're telling me. But now, we're still not done. We're like, 
an hour, 15 minutes in, and we're still not done. An hour, 20 minutes in. But you can't expect, like we talked in the Stanford Prison Experiment episode, you can't expect someone who's been in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day for Ever. X amount of years. 20 years now. Yeah. To be integrated back into society. So even if she gets paroled, what... She's not going to be what able to do anything. What would her life be like? Yeah, it won't. It, it's the equivalent of, I don't know, reviving somebody who has been shot to death and letting them live as a vegetable. Yeah. So, yeah, super fucked. But honestly, oh, well, couldn't have happened to a better person. I'm talking about yeah. the jail. I'm talking about I'm talking about life in prison for the record. OK. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So to get into that's that's the story of the case. But to get into the pop culture aspect of it now a little bit, which might be a little bit lighter, because it, it's... She's had quite a legacy. She's had such a legacy. Like, even... It's been more than 25 years after her death. Or it's been 25 years after her death. It's been, like, 24. Yeah. It'll be 25 next year. She remains an icon in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, she's inspired both a Broadway musical and a college course. She has Whoa. a monument... She's a wax figure at Madame Tussauds. Uh-huh. She's featured on Drake's merch, like his t-shirts. She has her huh. own museum. She is the namesake of Selena Gomez, who was also born and raised in Texas. Oh, okay. She was named after her. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Her mother was a massive Selena fan, and she named her after Selena. Um, That's weird that she became a musician, too. <laughs> I know. Isn't I, I think about that all the time. It's crazy. And a child performer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's also a Barbie doll. And wow, those are just some of the things that I'm going to gloss over that she has inspired. Nobody come for me. I know she's done so much more and we're still going to get into that. Um, Literally, like, like I said, we're like two, two and a half hour or we're like an hour and a half in. Yeah. If I mentioned every single thing, we would be here for like a week. Like she's been more on the website and everything. Yes. Um, her posthumous collaboration with Matt Cosmetics became the best-selling celebrity connection- collection in cosmetics history. Mm-hmm. Think about how fucking popular those Kylie lip kits are. Yeah, right. She beats the Kylie lip kit. <laughs> so then, it's nuts. She also was inducted into the Billboard Latin Music Hall of Fame, the Heart of Rock's Cafes Hall of Fame, and the South Texas Music Hall of Fame in 1985. That's all mm-hmm. just in 1995. Wow. And in 2002, under a judge's order, the gun used to kill Selena was destroyed and the pieces were thrown into the Corpus Christi Bay, which fans and historians were pissed at because they said that the event was historical and that the gun should have been put in a museum. I don't think there. Selena's stuff should be put in a museum, not the stuff, not what happened to her. I can kind of understand it because like not to liken it to the Kennedy assassination, but in isn't they've both been in the Museum of Natural History um, or what is it? The National Museum of something or another. They've both been in like museums in D.C. featured yeah, in museums yeah. in D.C. Um, I think isn't something that like Lee Harvey, whether it was the gun or like a notepad or something like that of Lee Harvey Oswald's I don't included know. in exhibits I like they've done that before is my point i know but it, it's just the point of like you don't bring you don't bring the murderer up to the the fame and notoriety of the victim right so if there's going to be a museum with selena artifacts it should be selena's stuff yeah not, just selena not yeah, yolanda not saldemar exactly 
So then, moving on, on March 16, 2011, the United States Postal Service released a, quote, Latin Legends memorial stamp, which included Quintanilla among its honorees. Mm-hmm. And on November 3rd, 2017, the Los Angeles officials declared it to be Selena Day, and she wow. received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Mm-hmm. The unveiling of her star was attended by her family and by around 4,500 fans, which wow. was the largest ever crowd for an unveiling ceremony at the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Wow, that's cool. I know. It's very sweet. And then on October 17, 2019, the anniversary of the release of Selena Quintanilla's debut album, which was Selena, um, mm-hmm. Google actually made a caricature of Quintanilla on their Google Doodle of the day. Um, nice. Users were able to click on the doodle and it would redirect them to a fun, cute little cartoon video of her that spans from her childhood to adulthood, singing and dancing along to one of her biggest hits, Bitty Bitty Bum Bum, with her family band. That's so cute. I know. And Google also debuted a digital exhibit with help from the Keeftonia family to showcase the life and legacy of Selena. Mm-hmm. So then in 2018, Texas headquartered supermarket chain HEB released limited edition bags, which featured a print of the singer behind the words Queen of Cumbia in pink lettering. And mm-hmm. their website crashed upon the bag's release. Everybody bought the bags online and even more waited in line for hours to buy them in stores like not even going for groceries just wanted to buy their commemorative selena grocery bags (laughs) and it wasn't like anything super crazy it's not like it was like covered in rhinestones or gilded or anything it was literally just like a bag made out of recycled materials that you buy at the checkout when you run out of bags exactly yeah um but it had selena on it and people sold them on eBay for anywhere from 20 to $100. And people wow. basically went batshit crazy for these bags. And they sold out <laughs> almost immediately. That's nuts. So then in December 2018, Netflix announced a two-part scripted series on Selena and her life, calling it Selena the Series. Uh, mm-hmm. The official description from Netflix reads, quote, a coming-of-age story following Selena as her dreams come true and all the heart-wrenching and life-changing choices she and her family have to make as they navigate success, family, and music, end quote. Mm. And there's no word on when that's going to be released yet. Um, they started the casting process, I know, relatively recently because of, like, all of the casting things that I'm on. And I know my blue-eyed blonde ass isn't going to be able to be in it, but, like, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but... We do know that it will be executive produced by Quintanilla's family. Um, And her sister, Suzette, said, quote, Selena will always have a lasting place in music history, and we feel great responsibility to do justice to her memory. With this series, viewers will finally get the full history of Selena, our family, and the impact she has had on all of our lives, end quote. Mm. Which I thought was very sweet. That is very sweet. And then there's also another series coming to Telemundo that is going to be based on the book El Secreto de Selena, which translates to Selena's Secret, um, or Mm -hmm. The Secret of Selena. Um, And the 13-episode series will detail the writings of Puerto Rican journalist Maria Celeste Arras, who covered both Selena's murder and the trial of Saldivar, and she'll also be an executive producer on the show. Mm-hmm. And she said of the series, quote, this is coming out 24 years after Selena's death, and it's the revealing story of what really happened, end quote. So wow. I think, yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to see it from a familial point of view and from a, like, exactly. journalistic point of view. Yeah. Um, but then while a few weeks after her death, 
then Texas state governor and future U.S. president and future bathtub painter George W. Bush declared Selena Day on April 16th, 1995, just a little, well, he declared it on April 12th for April 16th, which was her birthday. Um, She would have turned 24 that day. Um, Mm -hmm. This past February, Texas Representative Ana Maria Ramos filed a bill to designate April 16th, Selena's birthday, as Selena Quintanilla Perez Day in memory of her contributions to Tejano music. And Mm -hmm. if approved, this act will take effect in September. So then every April 16th will be Selena Quintanilla Perez Day in Texas. Nice. Yeah. And this past March, Forever 21 released the White Rose Collection to honor Selena, and it features styles for both men and women, along with a wide array of sizes of shirts, hoodies, crop tops, and all of them have, like, the likeness of Selena, and then also, like, hats, belts, and other accessories. And, like, honestly, the list goes on. It's all, like, inspired by Selena and her fashion. That's so cool. Yeah. And I like that it's in in inclusive sizes and... It could be male, female. Yeah. No, one yeah. of one of the, um, like, pictures of the models, even, she was, like, clearly, like, Latinx or something to that effect. And mm-hmm. she was an average size. I'd say she was maybe, like, a six or an eight, mm-hmm. which was what Selena was. Um, yeah. She wasn't, like, a little twig of a person. She was a human being. And yeah. so I just thought that was really cool. And like, yeah, Forever 21 is involved in a lot of fast fashion, but I thought that was a great way to honor Selena's memory. Yeah. And then last month it was announced that a Selena Quintanilla themed cruise called the Dreaming of You 25 Years, the Como La Flor Cruise. Wow. Is scheduled to sail out of the Los Angeles area in September 2020. And it's going to sail from Long Beach to Ensenada, Ensenada, Mexico. I almost said California. And <laughs> Haley, when are we going? I'm right. When are we going? That sounds amazing. I'm I'm so down. Um, according to the cruise's website, Selena Quintanilla's husband Chris Perez will perform with Grupo Metal, and there will be also be cumbia ses- lessons. I can't speak. Cumbia lessons, um, artist Q and A sessions, meet and greets, trivia contests, and Selena Yoki, aka Selena Karaoke. Wow. When the fuck? When will I be able? to scream sing dreaming of you on a boat filled with strangers heading to mexico Mm. can we go i love it i'm all i'm all about this however she has like she has like some of the most pop culture references of any case that we've covered almost oh absolutely because this only scratches the surface there have been books there have been those commemorative songs that i couldn't even begin to get into she's got a whole fucking posthumous album like yeah it doesn't even begin and we're not even at the biggest one yet wow yeah which is because i'm sure everybody is sitting here like just fucking get to it already i've been here for like an hour and a half Mm -hmm. what we're all really here for is the Jennifer Lopez portrayal of Selena in the 1997 biopic Selena, which yes. was written and directed by Gregory Nava and executive produced by Quintanilla's father, Abraham. Mm-hmm. And over 21,000 people auditioned for the role of Selena, which became that became the second largest audition since the search for Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. which was in 1939, I believe. Yeah. And then after Salma Hayek turned the role down because she both felt it was too soon after Selena's death, because they immediately went into production like soon after she died. 
And yeah, that's um, a little weird. Like they started casting like soon after. She felt that it was too soon, and also she had just portrayed Frida Kahlo, and she didn't want to be, I guess, like typecast as being the only person to portray strong, prolific female Latin yeah. historical figures. I can understand that. I can I, I yeah. respect that decision. I can respect uh, whichever one it was, or maybe it was both. I don't know. Those are the two that I read about. I can respect both and either. Um, yeah. But then our girl Lopez was tapped to play Selena, and she was largely unknown at that time. She had been in like a couple of movies, but she wasn't like mainstream yet. She was not the Jenny from the block we know and love today. Mm-hmm. And. Selena opened in 1,850 theaters worldwide and grossed $11,615,722, making it the second highest grossing film debut that week. Wow. Yes. It has. That's crazy. Oh, you want to hear crazy? It has a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb, a Google score of 95%. Wow. And I wish you could look at these numbers. Hundreds of thousands of people are voting on this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like it's like oh like ten thousand people like it, it, we're talking hundreds of thousands two hundreds yeah, of yeah. thousands um, and then it has a critic score of sixty seven percent and an audience score of seventy seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes and uh-huh. the critical consensus is quote Selena occasionally struggles to tell its subject story with depth or perspective but those flaws are rendered largely irrelevant by Jennifer Lopez in the title role end quote. And that's really cool yeah because many credit this movie as being what launched jennifer lopez's career yeah uh she became the first latina actress to earn one million dollars for a movie role and uh-huh. she was nominated for a golden globe for best actress in a motion picture or musical comedy for her portrayal and that's even though she only sings one line in the film all the rest she was she learned how to lip sync and it's actually selena singing oh okay interesting yeah um, and typically, like, I know Audrey Hepburn got snubbed for that at the Oscars because she, when she was in My Fair Lady at the last minute, they dubbed her all of her singing. Okay. And that's what cost her the award. Wow. So the fact that J-Lo was nominated for this despite that, that's pretty And she's dope. an actual singer. Yeah. Yeah. But they felt yeah. that it was going to be disrespectful so soon after her death to not include her voice. Yeah, I guess. Uh, like, her dad was the executive producer and that's what he, that's what he decided. Um, Mm -hmm. the film also received a Grammy nomination for Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media. Wow. Yeah. All right. And that is not even scratching the surface, but that is all I can fit into an hour and a half on Selena Quintanilla Perez. Yeah. You didn't even talk about, uh, well, you briefly mentioned the, um, memorial that she has in Corpus Texas. Yep. Yes. Where people Um, are there all the time. Yeah. Like, all um, the time. Yeah, there's there's just so much. Um, yeah, it's... it's She's beloved. Like, truly, honestly beloved. And I don't know if she ever could have imagined that she would have this kind of a legacy, or if her family could have, for that matter. When her father yeah. saw this little girl with perfect pitch, could he have ever imagined that it would be this huge? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no. And not for anything, I do believe that Chris Perez never married. Never remarried yeah. after that. Yeah. Mm. I I 
back when I was more on Facebook than I am now, I remember he would do like live streams or not live streams because that wasn't a thing back then, but he would do uh-huh. like, um, like he would rewatch like the Selena movie or something on like the anniversary of her death and interact with fans and like talk about it. Oh, and yeah, like it really like they loved each other so much and yeah. it's so heartbreaking. And I thought about not including it cause it's technically not true crime, but it's so fucking tragic. Yeah. And yeah, that's Selena. That's crazy. That isn't. I know. That's a crazy life. It's it's absolutely it's insane, and it's so heartbreaking that it could be, it all could have been different. Yeah, like one millimeter different. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Now I'm sad again. It's all right. It's okay. You will find all of the the pop culture type links and everything on the website. And that's crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. It is! And all the links to all of the social media and everything. And you know the drill by now. Yep, I do. And yeah. I'm sure everybody else does, too. And yeah. our Patreon is patreon.com slash crimeculture. Again, this was a Patreon episode. Um, yes. This was voted by our patrons. Or rather, I believe it was just patron. But either way... Um, this was voted on and I'm really glad because that means I got to do this like as much as I wanted to do it. I've been ready to do this for a while. So yeah. So if you want to say in what episodes come out, then you should join the Patreon and vote in the poll. Yes, please. It's a fun time. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to go so that I can turn the AC back on because it is over 90 degrees here. That's all everybody's going to hear for the entire summer. Yeah. Just be prepared. I don't handle heat well. No, she doesn't. No, I'd rather be cold. Mm, That makes one of us. It's why we're such a good match. It is. Opposites. Yeah. All right. All right. See you next week. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Again, we're not gonna. Okay, I'm just. You're just tired. I'm gonna let you go.